Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, reading from the KHV, the Carl Hafner version. Here's what a fruitful life in the Spirit looks like. Love. The daughter feeding her dad who can't recall his own name. Joy, friends exploding in laughter around a campfire. Peace, the single mom with an empty fridge, but an unflappable faith. Patience, the boss who sees beyond the poor performance. Kindness, the shopper who smiles at the woman cutting into the express lane with 106 items. Goodness, the diner who tips the rude waiter. Faithfulness, the volunteer who scoops nastiness at the humane shelter. Gentleness, the frequent flyer who smiles at the colicky infant. Self-control, the stylist who shuts her mouth instead of spreading gossip. Remember this, there is no law against doing these things. Well, of course, today we continue in our series called fruitful. We've been working together through this list of virtues that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5 that describes life in the Spirit. And so today we come to word number six, goodness. Goodness. So we will carefully examine that original word, and then we will consider a conversation that Jesus has with a man challenging him to join his revolution of the kingdom for goodness' sake. But first, we need to geek out just a little bit on this one Greek word. Are you excited about nerding out on a Greek word? Yes? Okay, I'm going to just take that as an enthusiastic woohoo, uh, because this is the only teaching that I have prepared for today. So here we go. The word is actually agathusene. It's two words. Uh, agathos, or if you know somebody named Agatha, the name literally means good. Very common word in the New Testament and in ancient literature, agathos. But... This is agathosune. Maybe just try saying that. Uh, Turn to your neighbor and try to use that word in a sentence. So you might uh, sing the song agathusie, gracious, great balls of fire, right? Or you could say, oh my, agathusune, your haircut is fire today. So go ahead and say that word together.
Okay. Uh, now, when I say this is a word that is unique to the Apostle Paul, nowhere in all of the ancient literature or manuscripts or even inscriptions can they find anybody else who has used this word. Paul literally kind of makes it up, and he's grasping, desperately trying to, to come up with a word that captures the core, the essence of who God is. And Paul uses it four times here in Galatians chapter 5, in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. He also uses it in Ephesians 5, 9, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, and Romans 15, 14. And when I was studying, preparing for this, that text jumped out at me because I don't expect anybody to remember this, but a few months ago when I spoke here, uh, I spoke on Romans 15, 13, the verse right before the use of this word agathusene or goodness. And... I handed out cards and asked all of us to pray Romans 15, 13 every day. And I have done that. This morning, I started my day as I always do. I read as a prayer Romans 15, 13. God of hope, fill me with all joy and peace. And you could list all of the fruits of the Spirit there. Or God of hope, fill me with goodness. As I trust in Christ so that I might overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. That has become my daily prayer. And I'll talk a little bit more about it later. But um, when I saw that Paul here uses the word goodness in the next verse, I was very curious. And this is what he goes on to say. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. I recognize the fruit of the Spirit in all of you, that you are full of goodness. Now, again, Paul's just trying to capture the core of who God is. And his goodness, with this made-up word, agathusene, actually transcends God's righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 7, I'll show you where I get that from. Very rarely, Paul says, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. You see how he juxtaposes righteousness and goodness and says that nobody's going to die for a righteous person, really, but maybe I can understand it for a good person. In other words, goodness even eclipses righteousness. It is a high and holy word. 
So with that backdrop, let's go now to a conversation that Jesus has with a man where he talks about goodness. He invites this man to join his kingdom revolution for goodness sake. Mark chapter 10, we begin in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. And notice the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If that question sounds familiar, chances are you were in church here just last Sabbath. I have to confess that my mind was somewhere else when the scripture reading was going on last week, and suddenly I broke out in a cold sweat. I started to panic because I paid attention to the part of the scripture reading last week here in the sanctuary when that same question came up. And it occurred to me, wait a minute, Pastor Josh is preaching my sermon that I'm going to preach next week. Like he stole the sermon God was sending to me. And now he's preaching it. Well, if you remember, he spoke on kindness, a wonderful sermon on the Good Samaritan. And it's actually the same question that prompts Jesus to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, same question that prompts Jesus to go here now and talk about goodness. Okay? So, he asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, again, like last week, answers with a question, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, this had to catch the man off guard. After all, he addresses Jesus like you would any respected rabbi in the ancient world. It's just a throwaway comment. You don't even think about good teacher. He wants to spar about theological issues, what's involved in inheriting eternal life. But Jesus, for some reason, slams on the brakes and makes a big deal out of this. Good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. It's just a throwaway comment. Good teacher, kind of like what you might say to a pastor after a church service. Good sermon, pastor, right? Now, this used to mean a lot to me until... Several years ago, one week, I was greeting the saints as they were leaving the sanctuary, and two different people said to me, good sermon, pastor. The only catch on that Sabbath, I didn't even preach. <laughs> like, they were not even awake enough to realize who was up there preaching. And I realized this is just something you say. It's just kind of an awkward moment. Now that I've told you that story, I know what all of you are going to say to me immediately following this service. Good sermon, pastor. Thank you. Good. So why does Jesus stop him? Good. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. A couple of observations on this statement. First, let us note there is, in fact, a standard of goodness. It is God alone. But there is a standard of goodness. This is a good reminder in a world that feels so often just awash in moral relativism, right? Where many people today believe there is no good or evil, no right or wrong. 
And what might be good for you may or may not be good for me. It's all relative. We're all kind of going to the same place anyway, right? Jesus did not allow for this. Brings to mind some years ago I was in a traffic jam in the Beltway outside of Washington, D.C., I was in a rental car. It was a beautiful spring afternoon. All of the windows were rolled down when I heard this voice as if from on high. Excuse me, sir. Peering out the passenger window and looking up, I saw this man who was a dead ringer for the old football player, William the Refrigerator Perry. Any of you remember him? Uh, Yeah. And he's hanging out of this Sears delivery truck, and he asks me, excuse me, sir, do you know, does this road take me into Bethesda? I said, I have no idea. I don't live here. I'm not from here. I'm from Washington State. Oh. A few moments later, I hear the same thing. Excuse me, sir. Yeah? Do you know, um, does this road take me into Bethesda? <laughs> and I repeated, I have no idea. I don't live here. I, I don't know. Then he asked me a question that still makes me chuckle. When I said, I have no idea, he asked me, well, what's your hunch? (laughs) Like, my hunch? What difference does my hunch make? It's not going to move a city, but I knew the right answer. So I said, well, my hunch is if you just stay on this road, you'll see a big sign up there that says Bethesda this way. Follow the signs. Can't miss it. He's smiling brightly, gold tooth glimmering in the sunshine. I moved over a few lanes of traffic because in case I gave him bad directions, I did not want him rolling over me. (laughs) A lot of people drift through life with this kind of a worldview. There's no real north, no true north. You know, Bethesda may be here for you, and it's over here for me. There's no right or wrong. Jesus did not allow for this in his theology. He made these outlandish statements like, I am the way the truth, the life, not one of many ways to eternal life. I am the way. In other words, (laughs) there is a standard of goodness. And that standard, Jesus goes on to say, is God alone. The second observation The standard is God. It is God's goodness. May I remind us that we are in a pulpit series right now studying the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of my sincere effort. It's not the fruit of my strong willpower. The fruit is the manifestation of the indwelling spirit. It is the fruit of the spirit. So this is what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 15, my favorite chapter in the Bible, where Jesus says, abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? 
You can do nothing. Now, Jesus doesn't say that you must produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's God's job. We simply bear much fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit in us because I know how spiritual life goes. You hear a really inspiring sermon on patience by Pastor Miguel the other week, and you leave and think, ah, yeah, he's right. I want to, I need to be a more patient person. And then you got to drive in this crazy traffic around here. Or you maybe have a two-year-old. How's your patience working out? Or with the labor shortage now, you, you go to a restaurant and you put in your order and you have to wait six hours before you get your meal. And you just feel defeated and exhausted. Because the standard of goodness is God alone. It is his spirit remaining in you. And when you live in that space of surrender, God promises you will bear much fruit. So let me go through this prayer phrase from Romans 15, 13 one more time because I just felt like I need to double down on this prayer and just keep praying it. And they told me, we did have a few extra cards at the info desk after the first service, but they tell me they're gone. All you have to do is write out or print out Romans 15, 13, and just make it your prayer. But listen to this again. You know, God of hope, fill me. It's not me doing the work. It's God. I'm asking you to fill me with all joy and peace. And you can say all of the fruits of the Spirit. This week, you might say, God of hope, fill me with all goodness as I, what? Trust in you. You don't manifest the fruit of the Spirit by trying really hard to be more patient or more loving or more joy-filled. It's not about trying. It's all about trusting. As I trust in you so that I might overflow with hope by the power, not my willpower, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. Just a great prayer, isn't it? And so Jesus tells us, hey, there is such a thing as good and bad. There is a standard of goodness, but the only standard is God alone dwelling in you as you trust in him. He then goes on to define goodness. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, give false testimony, defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these things I have done since I was, I've kept all the commandments, all 10 of them. Since I was a boy on the good meter, I'm really high up there. I guess then I deserve eternal life, right? And then one of the most tender and poignant verses in all of Scripture. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
This really speaks to me as a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist pastor who has prided himself all his life of keeping all of the Ten Commandments. And this man, in spite of all of his spiritual confusion, and he's so delusional about his own spiritual condition and his need of God. He, he, he almost thinks that he's living up to this standard of God's goodness, which eclipses even God's righteousness. He is so theologically misguided, and still Jesus looks at him and loves him. And then Jesus goes on. And he says, um, one thing you lack, go. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will find treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. We so often focus on the part of this challenge of what Jesus is calling this man to give up. Right, But this is inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus elsewhere in Scripture. And by the way, all of you are invited to join us for our week of renewal right here in the university church, 11 o'clock, Monday through Friday, uh, for the university, where we will be talking about this very thing, the teaching and the healing ministry of Jesus. But so often we think, oh, man. No wonder the man goes away sad because Jesus really puts it to him. Sell everything you have. But the emphasis in the mind of Jesus is not on what he's calling this man to give up, but rather this is an invitation. This is an opportunity to experience the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. He's inviting this man to a better life, just a better way to live. It's not about what he's calling him to give up, but rather what he will gain, namely, treasure in heaven. One point, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, it's like the farmer who goes out to his field and he discovers this treasure and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has because he realizes the value of this treasure. And so Jesus is not calling this man to a lesser life, just the opposite. In the words of Dallas Willard, the main thing in self-denial is not the old life that I'm losing, but the new life that I am getting. Self-denial in the Gospels is Always the surrender of a lesser dying self for a greater eternal one, the person God intended in creating you. Jesus does not deny us personal fulfillment, but shows us the only true way to it. We come to want to not want what we now want. Did you get that? In other words... The Spirit changes our desires, our heart. So we just naturally want to show love and joy and manifest God's goodness and patience and self-control 
and so on. In verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He wanted to be good, but didn't want to be that good. And then he goes on to say to his disciples, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's a group of philanthropists that meet outside of Chicago uh, to figure out how they're going to give away all of their substantial wealth before they die. I love the name of their group. They call themselves the Bruised Camels <laughs> because they understand that if a camel is going to squeeze through the eye of a needle, it's going to get bruised, right? It's going to hurt. But even though you may get bruised and bloodied and broken, and hurt, even though revolutionaries are radical and countercultural, it's still the best way to live. I thought of this some years ago when I was speaking in Colorado, and one of the perks is that they gave my family and me tickets to the PRCA rodeo in Estes Park. Now, I'd never really been to rodeos before, but there was one event that really captured my attention called mutton busting. Anybody ever heard of mutton busting? All right. Yeah, it's, it's basically where they take these innocent children and put them on sheep that have really bad attitudes. Uh, in fact, I think they are actually sheep or bulls wearing wool sweaters. Um, and there was this one sheep that uh, really caught my attention. I said to my wife, uh, pity the child who has to ride that one right there because it was clear that this one particular sheep was just such a bully. Um, and it wasn't long, and they put a girl on there and announced, and now riding Satan's sidekick. I thought that was the perfect name for this sheep. A Satan's sidekick. Shannon Wilkins from Pueblo, Colorado, and they opened that gate, and sure enough, this sheep bolted out of there, went straight to a fence, slammed that little girl up against it, and she just dropped in the dirt like a duck, shot dead out of the air, laying there motionless. Paramedics hurried to the scene. And at this point, I am just incredulous. I say to nobody in particular, what parent in their right mind is going to let their kid do that? <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> well, no sooner did that politically incorrect question escape my big mouth, and I look over to the woman right next to me, and she looks up as if she had been deep in prayer. And then she said, uh, Shannon is my daughter. I felt like the star of a Southwest Airline commercial. <laughs> Need to get away? <laughs> Meanwhile, they helped Shannon to her feet, and she was okay. She hobbled out of the corral down there, and I went down to the popcorn stand and waited for this woman to leave. I waited and waited. I grew a beard. She wasn't leaving. To make matters worse, I saw Shannon had joined them. Now, I would have just left. 
uh, except I really needed to go back to retrieve my valuables, namely my daughter and my wife. <laughs> um, and finally, I figured, okay, this is just going to be painfully awkward, but here goes. So I returned to my seat, and any fear of awkwardness quickly dissipated because uh, little Shannon, she was just rambling on a million my, or words a minute. She was so excited. Mom, I asked them if I could ride Satan's sidekick because I knew that was going to be the best ride, and I was not disappointed. As soon as they opened that gate, I'll bet I was doing 100 miles an hour, and then I hit that fence, and the whole world went black. And when I opened my eyes, the whole world, she said, was this big. And then I realized I was looking through the ear hole in my helmet. <laughs> <laughs> then she says, Mom, can I do it again? <laughs> what? Did I hear that right? She wants to do all of that again? Well, sure. Little Shannon figured out that's where the fun is. That's the danger zone. That's the adventure. What fun is it to sit up here in the bleachers and just criticize? Way more fun to get in the game. And so Jesus invites this man, go all in, sell, sell out on the kingdom of God, join my revolution for goodness sake. Lloyd Ogilvie put it well. He says, today we are so used to watching before the TV set, at the ball game, even in the worship service. We become expert analysts of the action replay, brilliant strategists, great talkers, but all from the comfort of our spectator's seat. We have lost the thrill of being in the rough and tumble." We forgot what it is like to be on the inside with all of its heartache, yes, but with its exultations too. Our highs and our lows are experienced vicariously. We are but shadows of our real selves. Don't be a shadow of the person God created you to be. Sign on to his revolution of the kingdom for goodness sake. Yeah, you might get broken up and bruised and bloodied, but that's where the adventure is. When you get in the game and you join the revolution for goodness sake. You know... We tend to be very sort of nonchalant about this whole idea of good, right? How was the meal? That was good. How'd you enjoy the movie? That was good. <laughs> and we write books from good to great. You know, and great. Most of us don't take this whole idea of being good all that seriously. Well, there was one woman who did. Her name, Eva Hart. You may remember her story. 
she gained notoriety as being one of the very few living Titanic survivors. And I remember watching an interview with her on public television some years back. And the reporter was asking her questions about that night. Do you remember it? Oh, <laughs> I remember it well, she said. He said, well, d describe it for me. And she said, well, my dad lowered me from the deck of the Titanic into the lifeboat. He was going to stay on the Titanic, and I knew, even though I was but seven years old at the time, I knew this was goodbye to my daddy. And so the interviewer asked her, do you, do you remember what he said to you in that moment? Oh, heavens, yes. I'll never forget it. In fact, she said, I wake up every morning, and that's my first thought. Or I remind myself my whole life, <laughs> since I was seven, since that night, I listened to my dad's words in my mind. Well, what, what did he say? He said, Eva, I love you. Now be a good girl. So every morning, I remind myself, be a good girl. In other words, live the kind of life that is worthy of such a great sacrifice. Hmm. A story similar to ours, right? We too have been saved by our Father's sacrifice. And from a bloody cross at Calvary, he cries out to every one of us, now live a good life, a life worth such sacrifice. Join my revolution of the kingdom of God for goodness' sake. And Father, we submit ourselves to your invitation right here, right now, asking that you would dwell within us. Thank you for the promise that you will bear much fruit in our lives. We are open and committed to this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.